Today, the latest round of radio ratings are in. We look at the big winners and why some of the results have got broadcasters questioning the numbers. Also today, the date for the voice referendum has been set. Get ready for a $100 million marketing blitz. And the TV industry unites, or at least part of it unites, over streaming. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast, a discussion of everything under Australia's media and marketing umbrella. I'm Michael Thompson, and I'm joined every week by my colleague, Adam Lang. Adam, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. Now, our lead story uh, today, Adam, is the radio ratings. Yes. So, Survey 5, let's, we'll jump straight into it because this is a cracking story. And uh, Survey 5 of the GFK uh, radio ratings came out yesterday, Tuesday. Mm. And, and as always, I'd say it ignited a, a flurry of activity. And uh, I think probably for context here, Adam, you and I need to declare our backgrounds. And we have, we probably take a, a closer interest in this than most, perhaps, because you worked in radio. You worked in radio for a very, very long time. <laughs> you were a uh, you're at Southern Cross Oz Stereo for a period. You're at the old Fairfax Radio, and then you're at Macquarie Media, where you were the uh, the CEO, managing stations uh, including Two GB and Three AW and Four BC and Six PR. I know we have said this before. I know we've declared this previously, but you are a true veteran of the industry. Look, I'm still learning, but I think I'm qualified to have a go at the ratings today. Just purely on number of years of experience. Well, also the fact that I love spreadsheets and numbers. In fact, as you can see, I've dressed for the occasion, very research often like my pointy head. Yes, with your, uh, your, your suit jacket and your shirt and what, what appears to be a very nice jumper yes. as well under your suit jacket, which gives you a very academic appearance, I must say. All bar the leather elbow patches on my jacket, yes. But we're not ruling anything out just yet. Next <laughs> next week, we could, see, we could see leather elbow patches. Nothing would ever surprise me uh, with you, Adam. Uh, and look, my background is also uh, in radio. I worked as essentially your underling uh, for some time. Uh, <laughs> but you called yourself overlord. No, I called myself Overlord when we moved into podcasting. Uh, and Supreme Content Overlord, formerly correct content, correct head of content from Macquarie Media, aka your underling. <laughs> and so I, um, I have, I have developed uh, from you a, a very keen appreciation of uh, spreadsheets and survey results, and it's always fascinating to look at these results. And the results that we saw come out yesterday were pretty. Incredible for a number of reasons. And uh, we will come to Melbourne in a second because the figures there were quite extraordinary. But a very funny thing seemed to happen in Sydney yesterday. That is that the three top stations, the top ranked stations, Talk Station 2GB and KISS, which is home to Kyle and Jackie O and Smooth FM, all had sizable drops in overall share. But on the surface of it, the audience didn't really go anywhere. If you're just looking at those shares, the audience didn't seem to go anywhere because often you'll have one station drop and then another one will rise, perhaps a roughly equivalent kind of amount, or it might be split across a number of stations, but not this time. What happened? Well, didn't the results cause a ruckus, Michael, mm. and particularly in Sydney? So, you know, you and I used to live through these eight surveys a year when we were working in radio and Every morning you'd approach the office with trepidation and wonder what the survey angels would bring. And so you would have these numbers come out and you'd have to inhale them really quickly. 
work out how the stations did, work out how every show did and what you're going to talk to your teams about. Also then what you're going to talk to the market about. So, you know, as you pointed out in the Mumbrella article yesterday, everyone's looking for the win and they're there. But on the top, particularly in Sydney, it was fascinating. Big, big share drops in terms of average audiences across the major stations and seemingly they didn't go anywhere. So what we did, of course, was pour through the numbers a bit deeper and as you might expect, Michael, I got out the spreadsheet and I had a crack at it to see what was going on. I have never seen somebody who is so keen to get into a spreadsheet and also then you go, you know what this calls for? This calls for a spreadsheet. I'm going to fashion a crude kind of <laughs> spreadsheet implement and, and figure out what I can out of this. You're the only person that I know that that will start from scratch building something in order to determine what he needs to. And, and it's quite admirable. Oh, thank you. I, I feel the criticism laced within your comments. But the, the idea is I had to find out what was going on. And of course, the devil is in the detail. The, the numbers tell the story. And what we saw, the cumulative audiences in Sydney and indeed across the country broadly held. But clearly what had happened at some of the big stations in Sydney was that the time spent listening, the other key metric of radio ratings, has obviously changed a lot and some stations are getting a lot less time spent listening. And as you put it in the article, Michael, some of the audience are choosing to spend less time with their favourite stations. And and really that was the outcome of the spreadsheet work to go, all right, well, where's this happening and why? And so we took a different approach to, as you know, some broadcasters took a very different and public view and commentary came out. And so, yeah, we had this case of, yeah, all the networks do the talking of their radio rating story, but even some of the broadcasters wanted to be heard too. Mm, yeah, because and in particular, Ray Hadley, uh, our former colleague at uh, at 2GB, mm. was, was quite vocal about this yesterday and about how there's probably not a great deal of understanding publicly about how some of these radio ratings are now calculated because there has been a change in methodology from GFK only a couple of months ago, and that now incorporates a bunch of uh, things, including streaming into the into the data and, uh, and I'll ask you about the the streaming in a second because that's a that's a, a very very interesting topic and really kind of changes the way you should consider both the stations and the way they're positioned and the data itself but uh, one of the, the points that uh, that Ray made yesterday was that that he had a, a fairly large drop in share for his program, which was down by... A very unusually high change in audience for him. Down by 4.2. and Still number one. Absolutely. And, and look, declaring kind of my own interest in this, that I, I was raised producer for a long time, so I know that show reasonably well, and that is very unusual to see a drop like that. Mm. And again, then when you look at only those top-level numbers and you look at the share... And you don't, if you don't delve into the detail behind it, you wouldn't see that in terms of the cumulative audience, which is the the bulk really of the the listeners, they're still there. the The audience is still there, but that uh, in the way that the overall ratings then are calculated is that it takes into account time spent listening, um, an average audience kind of for any fifteen minute period during that show, and kind of combines it all to get this share. But that the overall number of people, the cumulative audience, say for Ray's program, was still there, and it can be quite not misleading, but it does require a bit of context. Yeah, it does, and of course in the fury of getting those results and wanting to turn them around. And as Ray does every time, the minute he gets them, 
he tells his audience how he's doing, you know, how the ratings came in. And he's incredibly benevolent, right? He congratulates people who've done well. He always does. And you know what Ray's like? He is a competitor. When he finishes a survey win, the next job is the next morning's show and doing it all over again. So when he gets those results, you could go, okay, well, that's really interesting. I don't normally see share changes like that and they don't seem to have gone anywhere. What's happening? Please explain. And so, you know, we we kind of did. We went into the spreadsheet to seek an explanation and, and found the answer in the numbers, as typically you always can. So where do you think streaming comes into this? Mm. Uh, it's really interesting. The total audio or Radio 360, the GFK new methodology includes the device of listening. So whether people listened on AM, FM, DAB plus or indeed streaming. So for example, on your mobile phone or computer, and it breaks those out in terms of the different numbers. And so what we saw when we looked in those numbers was that audiences of different radio stations are behaving very differently when it comes to streaming. Now, you might think that music stations, younger audience, well, they'll do a hell of a lot of streaming. But in actual fact, it seems that the audiences of talk stations and AM stations have an even higher appetite to stream. And so what we're seeing is those AM stations across the country typically doing much better in terms of the proportion of their audience that listens via streaming. And and really, you can understand why. And there's probably two schools of thought to this as to why that would be the case. One would be that perhaps those companies, all those organisations, including the ABC and Nine Radio and SEN uh, and others have, have kind of prepared well for this kind of boom in streaming or that they target that well and know that their audience is into it. The second school of thought would be perhaps that it is a demographic-driven trend that perhaps slightly older audiences, as we know, listen to those stations that I just mentioned, perhaps are more inclined to stick with one station for a longer period. And that might include streaming, for instance, during the day while they're at work uh, and perhaps less likely to uh, jump between music stations and perhaps over to Spotify to listen to some music and then over to a podcast. There's a few different ways to approach it, I suppose. Yeah, I completely agree. I think in terms of the individual stations and how they connect with their audience, how they market themselves to them, that is a factor. In terms of the format, in terms of music and talk, that is a factor. I would throw in an additional one, which is to say that the AM band and the FM band are very different when you listen to them. You know, it, ah, good point. The sonic quality on FM is much better. It's in stereo it's clearer, crisper. The AM band is mono and often a little more sullen in terms of how it sounds, a little more dampened. Sullen, that is a great word to yes. describe AM audio quality. Well, it takes some of the brightness out of it in terms of dampening down that, that sound. Now, it's a terrific technology. It's been with us for over 100 years, but it does have its limit when it comes to sonic quality. And so when you go from AM or FM into DAB+, everything sounds the same and it sounds fantastic. In terms of streaming, it's not quite as good as DAB+, Plus, but gee, it's close. And so AM to streaming sounds so much better. FM to streaming sounds about the same. Now, we need to talk about Melbourne 
radio results oh, yeah. because uh, normally if it wasn't if it wasn't for the the very strange happenings in Sydney we would have started with the Melbourne radio results because 3AW had an absolute ripper of a survey yesterday a massive rise both for the station and, and for its its programs led by Ross Stevenson and Russell Howcroft in breakfast and uh, Neil Mitchell in mornings survey 5 though is traditionally a pretty good one for 3AW because it is really AFL. Yeah, it has football. You know, it's obviously a time of the year, winter, when the winter codes dominate and talk about them dominates. It's not just a Saturday-Sunday conversation. So above and beyond that, though, on any given Survey 5, this was a belter. 3AW steamrolled everyone else. They more than double any other station in any given shift. It is quite extraordinary. Do you think uh, when a station has been at the top for as long as 3AW has, and that margin is just so big between first and second uh, on on some of those shows, particularly breakfast and and mornings, where they are more than double the nearest competitors, that it in the coverage of it, it kind of just becomes a case of, okay, 3AW is doing what 3AW always does. (laughs) Number one again. And let's look at at second through sixth. (laughs) Well, Ross Stevenson, Russell Howcroft in Breakfast, Neil Mitchell in Mornings, they are exceptional broadcasters. So, you know, they thoroughly deserve the wins. I was working with those stations at the time when the ABC in Melbourne tied with 3AW. So it is not the case that it's forever been thus, right? They have to compete and win every single day. So I really hope that we don't get a ho-hum 3AW1 again reaction. I hope it's genuinely appreciated for the supreme achievement that it is. Yeah. And look, that's not us talking from a biased background. That is basically we've been we've been out of the radio industry for a few years now, so it is, is looking yeah. at it from outsiders going, this is a spectacular achievement. Yeah, let's be clear. We had nothing to do with this success. <laughs> if, <laughs> we were, we've been well past the company by now. That's right. If we did, we would be claiming it. A lot right now. You mentioned the ABC just then, Adam, and, and I think the ABC is definitely worth a mention here because it has not had a good run lately at all. No. It, it has been a really poor story for the ABC pretty much across the board. This survey was a little bit different. I, I hate to use a cliche like this, but it, it looks a little bit like green shoots for the ABC. <laughs> green shoots. For the venerable ABC. So just as a reminder to everyone, the ABC is not one station. There is the Triple J network, there's the Radio National Network, there's News Radio and there's Local Radio, there's Classic. There is lots of stations under this composite. And so naturally each one of them has a different story. I would say that the most significant story out of this is two things to top and tail it really. Radio National has not been going well and it still isn't in terms of its audience, cumulative audience and time spent listening. In the end, it's audience share. And so that, as has been speculated, is a point of observation from the outside looking into the ABC. In terms, though, of local radio, I think they had a very welcome lift in cumulative audience. We saw Sydney and Brisbane go up significantly. And so as a network, they did better. 
I know I'm running out of time here uh, because we have a couple more stories we need to get to, but there are two more things that I want to ask you about because there is just such a wealth of data when it comes to radio ratings. And, and as we talked about before, you can find winners anywhere in there. You can you can kind of slice it up particular ways to look at particular demographics, and typically you can find a win somewhere. But the context of these numbers is really important, isn't it? Because we, and we've got media buyers and planners and salespeople listening to us now, knowing that the radio ratings taken out of this survey are key to selling a story. And that story matters given the state of the advertising market at the moment. Yeah. So sitting above and beyond the normal audience for any given station, its brand, its format, its announcers, its connection with the audience, which of course, advertisers and creatives have to pay heed to, to connect with those audiences in the context in which they're listening. This ratings result says, okay, what are the numbers that support those stations. And you've got this as a looking back survey, of course. It's impossible to predict ratings. So these look back at a 10-week period. And it says how campaigns went. Did they reach the audiences that they were intended to? So that's part one. Second part is, okay, now for the campaigns I'm considering right now and looking to book for, say, the rest of the year, what is the audience likely to be? And it will look at this survey as an important benchmark in factoring those decisions. So it's looking backwards at what you did do, looking forwards at what you are going to do. But also, as you are alluding to, Michael, the overall radio market is changing. We took a six-year look at the radio market, commercial radio and audio data as published by them on industry figures over the last six years. I love that you very generously said that we took a look when it was Adam (laughs) with his spreadsheets, just digging through the numbers. So thank you for including me in that. (laughs) No worries. But looking at a benchmark where the industry in metropolitan revenue was writing more than $800 million to now in the mid sixes and seeing where that's traveling, that's still a stack of money for Metropolitan Radio. But the first few months of this financial year, July, August, September, October last year, were showing good signs of growth. The remaining months of the financial year, so from November to June, declined. And it's in that context that we heard the annual results and trading updates speak to that fact that the market is still trading short and competitive, which means it's tough out there. So when these surveys come in, every single audience member that you can gain is a better story to sell. And so that's why these radio ratings matter, not just to the radio industry, but how people are planning their brand campaigns, the ones that have happened and the ones that they're booking now. Okay. Last one. Uh, Now I've gone way over time, but I've I have to ask you this because you can't have a radio rating story without speculation, without a bit of chatter about contract negotiations, about kind of who's going where and when. And there's plenty of talk lately about Kyle and Jackie O's future, whether they'll they'll jump ship from Kiss and ARN uh, at the end of their contract and head back to Southern Cross or Stereo. It is a long way away because it's we're talking about the end of 2024. It doesn't stop the speculation, also speculation about potentially networking programs into Melbourne as well. Do these numbers just show the importance of having kind of a rainmaker like Kyle and Jackie O? Does it make these conversations, ARN retaining them, SCA luring them uh, across 
even more direct on both sides because it's not just not just one. They, these conversations would be happening probably in both camps. Absolutely. And of course, the people that we talk about, the people making the headlines, if they move, there are others that are impacted. Oh, yeah. And so the stories aren't just about one individual or two. It's about many. It's the teams that are involved in them and who might be in those slots now that might need to change. So it is fascinating. I think like any industry really in any role that we all have, when it comes to building a winning team in any company, you've got to build your talent, you buy it in, you borrow it. You know, there's only a few ways to attract people to work with you and, and have that winning formula. So Kyle and Jackie O built their career at SCA and Today FM in Sydney and branched out. And then they moved. ARN bought them. Now the battle is who might try to buy them back. And of course, that is a fascinating story. This one doesn't play out for more than a year, but it's that big a story that we could see this be speculated on for a year. So it'll be amazing to see what happens. Now, please also consider when we're talking about Colin Jackie O, who's there now that might be thinking, oh, okay, is my contract going beyond then? You know, this has ramifications and everyone will be watching. Then, of course, you have evolution with Neil Mitchell and speculation that he has an agreement that finishes at the end of this year. He's talking to them about staying with the network, but the feeling is he might not continue doing exactly what he does now. So that'll be interesting. What might he do? He is a talented journalist oh, yeah. and broadcaster. So yeah, the choices are his. He has earned that privilege through longstanding success. Who might follow? Who might he be able to bring into that slot? You know, that is also very interesting to me. So as we look at these rating results and you buy or build your teams, yeah, there's plenty of stories going on within those networks too. Adam, we have taken up a lot of time discussing radio ratings. It feels like one or both of us or one of us is particularly verbose today. And <laughs> it's probably me. I'm not speculating. I'm not going to speculate on who it is. But we'll let the tape tell the story. There is so much more to discuss on the radio ratings, but there's plenty of analysis on mumbrella.com.au, so you should check that out. We have a couple of other stories that we need to get to. We'll take a very quick break. You can polish up your elbow patches and we'll get into a couple <laughs> more stories after this. Adam, we are each picking a story that Mumbrella has covered this week or is in the process of covering uh, this week. We are bringing it to the table for discussion. I have chosen this one today. It's a very serious story, actually. The The Prime Minister uh, earlier today announced the date of the referendum for the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. We will be heading to the polls over this one topic on October 14. Now, this line jumped out at me, though, Adam, from the Australian newspaper. It says... The announcement will fire the starting gun on a campaign trail traversing the nation, millions of phone calls, texts and mail-outs, and a multimedia advertising blitz expected to exceed $100 million. So clearly, clearly we are in for a ferocious, a fairly ferocious ad campaign. And I understand that because a lot of this is really about education and making sure that people understand what they are voting on because one of the, the fairly unique kind of things about a, a referendum of this nature is that it, it needs a double majority. So it's got, you've got to have a, a majority of voters to vote yes across the country and that you need a majority in a majority of states 
as well. So it's a fairly kind of high bar that this has to get over. But in terms of the advertising and this potentially massive spend, this isn't like a normal election campaign, is it? They can get pretty dirty, pretty confrontational. This requires a lot more cultural sensitivity, doesn't it? I hope so, Michael. I hope you're right. Now, it's a little over six weeks. And so that's about the same as an election cycle, to your point. And we all might remember how those six weeks felt at the last federal election, including one Palmer United Party, which dominated billboards, television, radio, everywhere. That's the scale of $100 million. This is huge. Now, obviously, there are two sides to this story. There are two versions of the vote to advocate. And we will see how that plays out. It is so important, uh, I think, for everybody's benefit that no matter the outcome, we end up at peace with it. And so I really hope it stays away from the aggression, the personalization, play the issues, make your choices, get all the information you can, and, and please vote because it's an important benchmark for this country. It's a really important decision. Something that just occurred to me, do you reckon in these ad campaigns, because we will see them, we'll see them rolling out in coming days, do you reckon there's a chance we'll see some some kind of true creativity and passion come through in this? Because it, it feels like it's an opportunity for creatives and agencies to work on a cause that they potentially really believe in one way or the other, that, that it is not necessarily uh, just a, a straight commercial campaign, that this is actually something that they can be personally invested in. Michael, we hear a lot about the term purpose, and I think that is going to be incredibly important in this domain for each side, not just to explain the position they want you to take, but why. And so I hope that can really bear out through some excellent creativity. I think there's so many people that work on these campaigns for free. You know, it is pro bono work. Not always, but often. And so people align to this who genuinely believe in their point of view. And I hope that can be expressed through the creativity that we see. I would really hope that those transactional, you know, click here to be scared or click here to agree sorts of very call to action based messages really come from a very clear purpose. Because in the end, it all articulates on a vote, the referendum. And that's really important, but I hope you're right. Yeah, and look, it's well worth heading to mumbrella.com.au. We've had a bit of coverage about this, obviously, this week, including the list of company directors uh, that we saw on Monday, full-page ads, uh, where company directors are coming out in support of The Voice. And so uh, we've had a few pieces on Mumbrella this week that are probably well worth a read just to get a feel for the full kind of breadth of opinions on this, because this is not just an issue in politics. This is an issue in business. This is an issue right throughout society. So it's, it is something that we're going to be hearing an awful lot about over the next six weeks. We do need to move on, Adam. What is your story today? And I realize that in doing so, I've somewhat deliberately have left you about three and a half minutes to raise your story, which, which actually feels like it could be a cunning, a cunning plot by me. I'll have to be concise. Hmm, good luck. <laughs> My chosen story this week is Voz Streaming. So Ooh. we saw an announcement this week about the television industry 7, 9 and 10 with their streaming propositions. And this to me is really interesting in, in two ways. One, having a common trading platform 
that they will sell ad inventory on to reach audiences. But within this, OzTam will be able to have an identifier, an anonymized identifier, which will mean that you do not get the duplication of ads when you're watching streaming. So for advertisers, that is really important. It's the first time that these three entities have got together to trade in this way. Now, it hasn't happened yet. It is due to happen in 2024. Lots to do, lots of consultation with media buyers in the industry. But I think symbolic in terms of cooperation, you know, they've got a, I think the industry need and the the annual results that were reported recently show that linear broadcasting is changing its audience and changing its advertising base. And so this new digital consumption method, I shouldn't say new, this progressively growing digital consumption method is important for both reaching audiences, but also for advertisers to reach them with their messages. The fact that these that these three are cooperating, is it a sign that there's a, almost a realisation that need to work together, that, that it's not just a competition between each other now, that it is really kind of band together because there are a lot of outside forces, and I'm thinking kind of the, in the digital space, that are trying to have a crack at the same advertising budgets? Two-word answer, Michael. I'll be really concise here. Needs must, right? So my short answer is yes. I love that your preamble to your short answer was longer than your answer. So that was <laughs> that's a very Adam Lang thing to do just then. <laughs> Needs must, right? So there is a commercial imperative to keep exploring new ways to grow audience and grow the ways that advertisers can reach them. And I think this is completely logical. But steeped in television history, we are more familiar with the arguments between networks and a lack of cooperation, that fierce competition, than we are with cooperation. So this is really interesting to me. Yeah, and there's a good piece. Surprise, surprise, I'm going to mention a good piece on mumbrella.com.au where you well, can read all about this and some of the reservations uh, that media buyers do actually have about it. But generally, they're fairly receptive and say, hey, this is a step forward. So anyway, uh, Adam, I think we are well and truly out of time and I'm not blaming you for that, just to be clear. That is not your fault. We do need to mention as well, if I can, the Mumbrella Publish Awards, which are coming up next week. They are on the 7th of September and there are still tickets available. And Adam, if I was to say, guess where you can get those tickets, would you say mumbrella.com.au? I would, Michael. So these awards at Dalton House in Sydney, as you said, Michael, 7 September, go to Mumbrella and have a look. I think it is wonderful that we are seeing recognition for the creativity and skill of publishing back on the agenda. So whether you are editor of the year, best advertising campaign or publisher of the year, I think have a look at the website, have a look at the categories and the nominees. There's a great opportunity to celebrate excellent work. Well said. Great way to finish. Thank you very much, Adam. Thank you, Michael. This is the Mumbrella Cast. Remember to hit follow on the podcast and head along to mumbrella.com.au for more info on everything that we've talked about today. Thank you very much for your company. See you next time.